This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by the Top Producer Summit, held February 5th through 7th in Kansas City. Register now for a schedule packed with the nation's top farmers and leaders speaking on important industry topics, all at the 2024 Top Producer Summit in KC. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McRae. Just about anyone who has or does live in a rural area knows the challenges of connecting to the Internet. Poor connectivity isn't just a nuisance. It can cost you money. How can you help overcome those issues? Plus, we discuss the challenges on the horizon for corn and soybean leaders and provide an outlook for the coming year. Those are our topics for this week's Farming the Countryside, brought to you by the 2024 Top Producer Summit. I'm a farmer that likes to learn, and there are several options out there, both online and in person, to gain knowledge on all kinds of topics that impact agriculture and beyond. One place I know I'll be this winter to grow and learn is the Top Producer Summit, February 5th through 7th in Kansas City. Each year, you can count on the Top Producer Summit to bring together some of the nation's and world's top farmers and ag leaders to discuss, share, and learn from one another. It's a jam-packed schedule with tons of interesting topics for just about everyone. And with a location central in the country, it's a place many of us can get to without a long trip. I'll be at the Top Producer Summit, and I hope you'll join me as we get the latest tips and trends on critical topics in agriculture. Just go online to register for the Top Producer Summit 2024 in Kansas City. Scott Gaffner is an at-large director with the Illinois Soybean Association. I recently visited with him at an ag conference where we covered two important areas that he and many farmers have on their mind. One is the issue of connectivity. What is poor internet service costing the ag sector? It can be big dollars left on the table, and Scott talks about how he and all of us can help close that gap. Secondly, we talked about marketing and getting more for our soybean crop. Scott shared several ideas that I found helpful, and I hope you will as well. Scott, talk first all about where you farm and the season you just come through. Well, absolutely. So uh, we had a pretty good season here. We were kind of worried there for a while with the rain, but our farm is located about 45 miles east of St. Louis. Uh, we're in this more of the southern part of Illinois. Uh, it's Greenville is the farm location, and uh, our year was pretty good. I mean, with the rain coming at just the right time, so we were fortunate to have our soybean and corn uh, being pretty profitable this year. I've always liked to ask fellow farmers, what did you learn this year that you can apply next year? Any good uh, growing lessons or things that uh, you're trying that are new or innovative that you're thinking about? Well, we always talk about, uh, you know, being sustainable. We always talk about minimum tillage, you know, trying to conserve all these things. And so I just was talked to you just a little bit ago about uh, just on our my corn uh, that we had three fields right in the same location, same soil type. The only difference was we did uh, some spring tillage on two of the fields. and my field, we didn't do the tillage, and the yields were almost half of what the other fields were. So it was just one of those, it just happened to work out that way, but it just kind of made us step back and scratch our head for a minute of like, you know, we still want to do, do conservation methods, but how can we do it better so we don't reduce our yields by that much especially? Do you think that was just an odd year, or what do you think it was? I think it's one of those things. It's a perfect storm. You know, we hit, the rain didn't hit us at the right time. It didn't allow the nutrients to release from the soil on my field that it did the other fields. And so 
it just happened to work out at a bad timing. So unfortunately for me, do you think though you will try some more conservation things in the future? Or how does it play into looking forward? Because so much of the talk is sustainability, cover crops, so forth. Sure. We still do cover crops. And in our area, you know, we use wheat as a cover crop. We've experimented with a lot of different other variable cover crops um, to see what would work, radishes or anything like that. So we continue to be conservation-minded. We've done that well before people even thought that was the thing to do, and we will continue to do it, but we just have to make sure we do it better so we continue to not use yields on the back end side. So, yeah, we'll still use it. One of the challenges you've had in your area is connectivity, and uh, it's more than just the the happiness of having TV or Internet. It goes even to farm applications. But why don't we start with just the the struggle you had and then your unique solution initially that you kind of got into the internet provider business. Yeah, sure. So our farm is a Centennial Farm. So we've been around for over 100 years. So back then, of course, the issues are a lot different. I mean, how are we going to get a horse to pull the plow, plow through the field or whatever? But where we fast forward now, technology is such an important part of what we do. So within the technology aspect, we have to make sure that we have all the tools available to us to utilize that because that does it makes us more sustainable it makes us more um utilize less chemicals utilize less water all those things that everybody wants to know about and so but connectivity is a key to that a key component to that because you know out in the fields or on the tractors you have gps or you have field monitoring systems that we have to have that connectivity portion to it so what i ran into was whenever i'd moved to a different location there just wasn't a good internet service where i was at and so I started my own small internet company, which I know not everybody can do. But what it made me realize was there's a lot of people out in the rural areas that just don't have connectivity like they should have. And studies have shown that if we can increase the connectivity of farmers, it increases their profitability both on the corn and the soybean side. And we have statistics to show that. And so as an organization with the Illinois Soybean Association and the 43,000 farmers we represent, we wanted to come up with a way that we could help provide tools to their local farm bureau or to their local county um, boards to be able to utilize some of the federal money that was coming down for their areas and best determine whether it's going to be a wireless system or a fixed fiber system or something. How could they best determine what would work for their farming operations? We haven't found the golden key yet. So I know that was probably going to be your next question. Hey, did you find what was there? But we're, we're working with a, a Benton Institute and the... Um, um, the extension offices out of the University of Illinois to try to provide some test pilot groups, sending them through some training to help them uh, be informed on areas that we think would be beneficial to them. And that's kind of how we're starting this process. And we hope for it to become kind of a footprint to what we can push out to other, whether it's in Illinois or other states around the country, that they can utilize to better determine how and what kind of uh, rural connectivity they can use. There are a lot of federal dollars out there you're trying to figure out the best way to utilize them, but it's really a not a, only an Illinois challenge, it's a na- national challenge. It is a national challenge, and everybody's seeing this federal money coming in, and they're saying, how can we best utilize them? And we in the rural community, we always want to maximize those dollars. You know, We're always pinching those dollars, so we want to make sure that those dollars aren't wasted. And so we're, that's where we're trying to be ahead of the curve, to tell the federal government, here's some areas that we really think you need to put this money and, and help these um, entities, whether you're in the rural area, you know, in another county or another state, to be able to advocate for yourself through the federal government to say, hey, here's why, here's the speeds we don't have, or we've done these tests and we just can't get good reception on anything. So we're trying to provide tools that they can advocate to be able to bring those dollars to those locations that really need them most. 
if I'm listening to this, it's tempting to say, well, I'm just a farmer. How do I fit into this? What would you tell folks about, okay, I would love to have better internet, but I don't know how to make that happen. What can they do? Well, within the state of Illinois here, have them reach out to us, Illinois Soybean Association. Have them reach out to their Farm Bureau. And then we're, we're working together, actually, jointly on a lot of these projects to make sure that, that we can provide the tools they need for that. But we want to know what areas are not having good connectivity. We want to know the problems that we're having. We know that we live in a state that's very diverse in Illinois. You have some flat farmland. We have a lot of hills, valleys, trees, and all that terrain makes a difference as well. So if you see a study that comes out and they're asking for you to be part of the study to determine if you have good connectivity or not, be a part of that study because that's where we didn't put those dollars to work. And so anything that you can see in that arena, be involved with it and let us know if we can help in any way through the Illinois Soybean Association. Connectivity is important, but obviously just one of the many issues you deal with within the association as a farmer. You have spent a lot of time on the marketing committee. Speak to what is taking place now and what you're looking at in the future because we're always wanting to find a way to use these soybeans. Absolutely. And so to be able to move our soybean pile from the farm to another location or another country is what we're looking for. In Illinois, we export 60% of our soybeans. Okay, so this is a large part of our market. So within the Market Development Committee, we've always looked for ways that we can be innovative. We, of course, have China that buys a lot of our soybeans, but we also look for locations that we can sell our soybeans other than China to diversify. And so we go to these other countries and we make sure we establish good relationships with them. We look for emerging markets to which we can move them. But we also have developed this year, we're working with a, another organization that has allowed us to create a soy innovation lab. And so we brought in some entrepreneurial people successful entrepreneur people in collaboration with um, some entities that, are, that have already used the Soy Innovation Labs, and we're looking for new uses that we can move these soybean piles. As farmers, sometimes we look forward, and we only look with a lens that we're used to as a farmer. And when we bring other people in, and we have them look at what we're doing, and we have them look at what we have, they can provide some additional insight that we may not see. And so that's what we're trying to do with this Innovation Lab. We're trying to bring a bunch of very intellectual people as well as farmers. And I'm not saying the farmers aren't intellectual. Don't get me wrong. Farmers are part of that intellectual group in here. Collaborate with them. Determine what are the best projects to move forward with. And we have people that are willing to bring seed money in, as well as our organization will provide some some money for that, to determine and move forward some of these projects that we think would be best for our farmers to maximize their profitability. We are looking at new things, but certainly we have things that are tried and true I'm curious about the sustainable aviation fuel. That has been a big deal with, uh, obviously, using beans, probably a market that we are just beginning to tap into. Would that be right? Absolutely. I mean, there's so many new things happening. Really, the the uh, possibilities with soybeans right now is really a lot. And it really makes me excited as a farmer to know there's so many opportunities. You know, with, with uh, some um, soybeans will not gel up like some other protein-based products will with aviation fuel, and that's what's important, and what that's what's good with soybeans. And, and there's so many other opportunities with that within that market arena. We're going to see a lot of crush, you know, a lot of soybeans being crushed and excess crush right now. It used to be we had excess oil. Now we have excess crush. And so it's great opportunities for the soybean farmer. It's just making sure we're maximizing those opportunities. We're getting those soybeans in that aviation fuel and these other uh, areas that we need to do that. And those are the other areas we've actually been looking at with the Market Development Committee too. So I'm glad you brought that up. Just about um, just the great possibilities that we have moving forward. 
as we look ahead to a new growing season, other things that are top of mind, certainly we have a we have a farm bill that is out there looming. What are the things that you're thinking about? Well, I mean, we're always looking at increasing it, of input costs. You know, we're looking at increasing fertilizer costs. Uh, we, you know, with a lot of these uncertainties in other countries, it always reflects and it impacts us. Sometimes it actually helps us. I mean, unfortunately, when other countries can't provide the, the products they need, we can step into that market and hopefully take advantage of that. But it also sometimes hurts us when we're not able to get some of the fertilizer and some of the products we need from these countries. So uh, we always continue to try to work in those areas to try to make sure that we still have the availability of resources for our farmers. I, th- I look pretty optimistically as we move forward. You know, this is a great country you live in. We're doing a great job. Uh, but we also just have to be ready for the next adverse uh, reaction to whether it's a climate change reaction or whether it's a, a Nash or a worldwide conflict that happens. We just want to be ready for that, that we can respond. Food security is a big issue, too. We want to make sure we have enough food for the world to you know provide to the world. And I think we're doing a great job on that. But we don't need to take our foot off the gas pedal for sure. Scott, I appreciate the time. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. In the second half of this week's show, we visit with Harold Woolley, president of the National Corn Growers Association. We covered several topics that he has on the top of his mind in his role as head of the NCGA. And we also discussed the challenges and solutions he sees on his own farm. Perhaps most interesting are some changes he's making with sustainability practices on his land in southern Minnesota, as he incorporates some methods some say just won't work on colder northern soils. Harold, for those that aren't familiar, talk about, first of all, where you farm. Uh, I have a farm in south-central Minnesota, well down the path of transitioning that operation to my son. We grow corn and soybeans there. How was the year this year? I know in many parts of Minnesota it was pretty dry. Uh, it was variable. You know, it, there are areas of the state that caught some rain, and they have tremendous production. On our farm, our soybeans were above average, above expectations, but our corn was below we had a very wet spring right at planting time, had us over six inches of rain, had to replant about 20% of our crop. So that set us back, and then we had the dry July. So that negatively affected our corn production on our farm. I know we're going to get into some national issues here, but I always like to talk production. Any things that you learned from this year, or was it Mother Nature sometimes difficult to deal with and you can't do anything to make it work? You have to use the weather that, that you're given, and... Uh, so, hey, we still had an acceptable crop given the tough conditions. So, very grateful for the genetics that we have nowadays. I heard you speak briefly yesterday with Farmers for Soil Health, and I, I would like to talk about that for just a moment because I know it's something important to you. Talk about what you've been doing because I think you're just transitioning into some cover crops. Is that right? Absolutely. We planted uh, 20 acres of cover crops on some sandy soil this fall. So had a custom operator come in and seed the cover crops right into the standing soybeans. That The soybeans were short enough that he was able to do that with his uh, ground rig. Uh, we were fortunate at a half inch of rain shortly thereafter and got germination of the rye and radishes. So they all started to grow. Uh, you know, it just is hard to get a lot of growth in Minnesota because of the cool weather. So it's established. I'm real curious to see how it grows this spring when it starts to warm up again. And this is your first year using cover crops? Absolutely, yeah. 
talk about where you are because you're right. If you get move into those northern climates, a lot of folks say, well, I can't do it because I don't have the growing season. But you're experimenting with it. You must see some opportunity. I think there is, you know, we have some sandy soils. And so I think there's going to be some real benefits from wind erosion to get those protected with with more residue. You know, I always say residue is precious. So cover crops help us increase the amount of residue that we have on those areas where the the crop didn't grow real well and provide us with the residue that we need. Will it change any other parts of your operation using the cover crops as far as any tillage you do or the termination of that? Is it How do you see that fitting in? Um, we haven't made our full plans whether we'll use a chemical termination or a tillage operation to terminate that crop before we plant into it. So um, more to come. We'll make those decisions this winter time. <laughs> Well, I've got to ask, you know, as a farmer myself in Missouri, we look to the folks in Minnesota and they often say, hey, we got to till that because we got to get things warmed up. Do you think we can do it without tilling it and make it work? Uh, absolutely. You know, it, it depends upon what crop you're going to follow it with. If, if the cover crop is followed with soybeans, we have more time uh, for that soil to warm up. Uh, I had a gentleman telling me yesterday that even the green of the cover crops absorbs the sunlight and does warm that soil up as well as when it's black and, and, and receiving the sunlight. So um, we're in a learning process here, and, and our minds are open, so we'll see how it all works. As we think and transition from what you do locally to your role nationally, just what we're talking about, though, is certainly an issue that a lot of corn producers have to think about as far as not only sustainability and cover crops and soil health, but how that might be a credit that I can pass along in my crop. How does... How does the National Corn Growers see that as far as the extra opportunities, if you will, for that crop that, crop that we grow? Um, that's, that's out there. You know, the theme for my presidency is shaping the future. And I think that's what we're looking at. You know, how are we going to farm in the future? Are we, we need, I think, to be more conscious of sequestering carbon on our farms. We need to, you know, we need to have lower carbon intensity scores for our ethanol so that it could potentially qualify for ethanol to jet for sustainable aviation fuel. Uh, I think there's a lot that's going to be coming down the line that has to do with sustainability and and carbon, and it's going to be interesting. What do you say to farmers that sometimes worry about, that sounds like a lot of change and a lot of paperwork, if you will, and things that I'm going to have to do, and it's forced on me, I'm guessing you must see it as opportunity, though, and, and good change. It, it is an opportunity, and, and change has been with us. Um, you know, my father went from horses to, to combines, self-propelled combines, so uh, he saw a tremendous amount of change. Every generation is going to see change, and, and I know there's a lot of us who are traditional, and, and we want it to stay the same, but it's not going to. It's going to change. We need to be curious. We need to be observant and adaptable and, and look for change and in ways that we can change our operations to fit into the future and be profitable. NCGA, of course, always working on demand. And I'm sure that's something that is talked about not only with you, but the whole board and everyone else. So talk about the demand side domestically and even globally. What do we see? You know, we are so fortunate in this country that we can grow more corn than we consume domestically. So you know, I, when I talk about demand, I look at four different buckets. You know, ethanol is one, livestock feed is another, um, exports is another, and then new uses. So, you know, on the ethanol front, we need to have our higher blends be available year-round. So, uh, you know, we have a, 
uh, a bill in Congress right now that would provide for that. We also have the Next Generation Fuels Act introduced in both houses of Congress that would provide for even higher blends of of, of uh, ethanol in our nation's liquid fuel supply, would allow the manufacturers to produce the engines that can use those higher blends, so small displacement, high-compression turbocharged engines that can use the octane in higher blends. Ethanol, that's one of the things. Livestock, when I think about our livestock industries, I worry about our the diseases that are out there that could come in and devastate our livestock industry. So we need to be uh, vigilant, keep those diseases out of our country, develop vaccines that could help us prevent them from devastating those the demand for corn in the livestock industry. Export markets are, are very important as well. We need to be able to export our our corn around the world. You know, Mexico is our number one trade destination for our corn, uh, and we're dealing with the GMO corn ban that their president has instituted. We worked with the U.S. Trade Representative's office, encouraged them to to go through a dispute settlement process. That process is underway now. The panel members have been named, and and we're hopeful that we can get resolution to that issue here shortly, you know, by spring of 2024. So uh, that needs to happen. And then new uses, you know, uh, renewable plastics, uh, com- decomposable, compostable plastics. Uh, there's a ton of things that can be made from cornstarch and corn oil. Uh, those new uses are important for us, too. You mentioned ethanol, and I think some people have... Maybe worried is not the right word, but we continue to transition to more EV vehicles. What does that mean for ethanol down the road, or does it just mean we transfer and use ethanol in new ways down the road? Uh, we'll we'll certainly see how this all shakes out. There's no denying that uh, electric vehicles are going to be part of our future as we work to decarbonize the transportation industry. Uh, I like to advocate that you know ethanol has a substantially lower carbon score than straight up gasoline. So the more ethanol we use in our liquid fuels market, the more we decarbonize the transportation industry, and we're able to do that right now. We know how to grow the feedstock. We know how to make uh, the product, and we know how to distribute it. The systems are in place, and there's going to be some challenges for the EV market as, as they try to, to get more of the transportation fuel. I'm sure that one thing on your mind is the farm bill, and we always are talking farm bill, and it seems like it takes a long time. But where does it stand right now, and and what are some of the key issues that you've been talking with lawmakers about? You know, uh, the continuing resolution uh, to fund the government had uh, a one-year extension to the farm bill attached to it, and that has passed both houses. We have that in our pocket. Uh, You know, I don't want it to take a a year to to get a full five-year reauthorization. I want that to happen right away in the new year. That's what I'm advocating for. And and there's a, a number of uh, issues in that farm bill. You know, we need to protect our crop insurance. That's that's our number one priority. There's some tweaks to the Title I program that can be made. Uh, you know, corn growers are advocating for a mandatory base update. It seems to me so unfair that you can have a cornfield on one side of a fence and another cornfield on the other side of the fence. One of them is uh, available to use the the safety net provisions in Title I. The other side of the fence is not based solely on when they were brought into production. 
So that's unfair. I think that needs to change. And then there's some tweaks we can make to the ARC and PLC program. You know, reference prices are part, mandatory reference prices are part of the PLC program. There currently is an escalator provision in the in the 2018 farm bill that as market prices go up, that reference price will escalate as well, but it has a limit on the amount that it goes up. We need to move that limit higher so when we do see prices go up, reference prices will go up as well. For the uh, ARC program, there's some payment limitations in there. You know, and my, and my favorite example is when the derecho came through Iowa and those producers suffered significant losses, that 10% pay ban limited the amount of compensation that they were able to collect to offset their losses. ARC also has an 86% pay rate, so that in essence is a 14% deductible. I think that's too much. We can uh, we can move that pay rate up, you know, to 90% or whatever uh, Congress deems feasible. So some tweaks that we can make to the farm program, Title I uh, programs that uh, would improve it. Harold, I appreciate the time. Thank you. You're, uh, you're very welcome. Thanks for joining me on this week's show. Remember, you can follow Farming the Countryside and our daily show, American Countryside, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and follow me on LinkedIn as well. Just type in Farming the Countryside or American Countryside. And you can hear these shows in a variety of ways. If you listen to Farming the Countryside here on the radio, just go to farmingthecountryside.com as well to find past shows of interest. And, of course, if you're listening on the podcast, just go to that podcast platform to search the archives for other shows of interest. We try to have a variety of guests who provide information impacting many parts of the ag industry and rural America. I appreciate you joining me. I'm Andrew McRae. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by the Top Producer Summit, held February 5th through 7th in Kansas City. Register now for a schedule packed with the nation's top farmers and leaders speaking on important industry topics. All at the 2024 Top Producer Summit in KC.